Well, we have been looking at the Millennial Kingdom, the period of Christ's reign, rule and reign. We looked at it from several perspectives, from the perspective of creation, uh, that in God's justice he wanted to give creation a Sabbath rest, that they would be without the uh, weight of our sin on them, the consequences of our sin on them, and so all the unnatural things that we call nature and we show on the nature show that are unnatural will be gone. And so we will not have any flesh-eating creatures on the earth, um, which will be exciting. So the lion is going to eat straw and, and uh, graze like it was designed to do initially um, and not hunt and things like that. And so we're not going to have those kinds of issues. The earth is going to produce its bounty The Bible talks about this great harvest that comes with one exception, that is if you do not go and worship like you're supposed to, then famine comes upon your land. And so we talked about the natural side of the Sabbath rest for creation, remembering that creation has just gone through seven years of pretty intense wrath as the instruments of God's wrath on the earth and and the purging that's there almost. We then talked about um, the aspect of the millennial kingdom being a time of justice in terms of God's um, relationship with Israel and establishing himself as her king and, in fact, the king of kings, uh, which really talks about being the, the king of the nations. And so we looked at the that aspect that Israel is going to be in her land receiving her full boundaries and that all those aspects will be accomplished in the promises of God in terms of the Old Testament prophets are going to be fulfilled there. There's also going to be a facet of the nations. We talked about that as well, that the nations will all be there. They'll be identifiable. They are ruled with a rod of iron. That is, they are forced to. We talked about that last week. Do not confuse the fact that they are coming and offering sacrifices with the fact that they are redeemed people. They are not. They are offering those sacrifices to remind them that they are sinners and that they are having to offer sacrifices over and over and over again because they have not received Christ Jesus as their Savior and Lord. He has not redeemed them. He has not uh, paid for their sin. He has not atoned for them. And therefore, they have to have this reminder on a regular basis that they are still sinners. They are not the redeemed. Uh, we did not talk last week much about the relationship between the, re, the resurrected, those who participate in the first resurrection, and uh, the people on the earth. We're going to do that very quickly, and then I'm going to go into Gog and Magog. Um, there's another facet of the millennial kingdom, and that is that we have a promise of God that we will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. And while that uh, may be in our mind of being for eternity in heaven, we recognize that there is a parity in heaven, that there is no one really to rule and reign because we are all in Christ. And so the ruling and reigning of Christ is generally seen as being fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. And so we have this scenario set up where you have the redeemed people who are resurrected, physically resurrected, who are uh, ruling and reigning with Christ in Jerusalem. Remember we talked about the changed geology of the area, that uh, it's going to be very different, as not only 
geopolitically where the boundaries are of the tribes is going to change, um, but also um, the, the topography, the, where the mountains are and the rivers and things like that are going to change. And so it's going to be um, a time when we'll rule and reign there with Christ, um, with the redeemed as his uh, army coming. So we are riding in the army behind him at Armageddon uh, and then ruling reign with him for these thousand years. Um, and again, we would be distinct from the nations and distinct from Israel as a nation. Uh, we are these unique priesthood. We are that, uh, we have our, our citizenry there with Christ. And so uh, we will rule and reign with him. And that is yet another facet or a fulfillment that is occurring throughout the millennial kingdom. But we come now to the end of it. And the end of it is very revealing to me of several things. And we have immediately, though, a problem. And the problem um, is not with Scripture, um, by the way. The problem is with the historical teaching of several camps. And it has to do with the battle of Gog and Magog. And there's been several positions, um, even among our group. And so... Uh, I'm not going to deal with some of the ones that don't believe in the millennium, millennial, literal millennial kingdom. I'm not going to deal with the, uh, some of the other tribulational positions. I'm really going to deal with premillennialists um, and, and pre-trib people, those that believe in the rapture that happens before the seven years. And even among them, there's a lot of disagreement about Gog Magog. Um, during the... 60s and 70s, the Battle of Gog Magog mysteriously got moved forward in time to coincide with the rapture. In fact, many had it as a rapture event or pre-rapture event for some people. They put it right before the rapture or an indication that the rapture was coming. They actually moved the Battle of Gog Magog into this period on our time frame. Um, and you heard prophecy teachers during that time talk about this entity coming out of the north that's going to come down and attack Israel, and that's going to be the event in which Christ is going to come down and stop it in the midst of the rapture, and it'll set up this treaty that um, will occur. And they were deriving some of that out of uh, Daniel as well and some issues there. Um, and here's what we heard, is that Gog Magog referred to who? What nation? It, not Russia, but the USSR. Okay, and so it was this, and, and USSR is different than Russia. Russia is now just one nation. All those stand countries <laughs> um, outside of Afghanistan, all those, all those Kyrgyzstans, no, there's no Kyrgyzstan, Kurdistan, and I just put that in there because mine's Kirk. Um, all those stand countries um, that, that were pulled loose from the USSR, and they, often they would introduce also East Germany, um, and they said, well, that's what this is. And because this sounds like Moscow, and, and there's Tobolsk, and, and so they, they lined up with some of the things in Ezekiel, and they said, well, that sounds like these cities up in Russia and in some of their regions, Ukraine, places like that. And so they were... Um, preaching pretty vehemently that the, the Soviet Union was the great nemesis of the end times 
that will precipitate all of the stuff that we're looking for prophetically to happen. And the people that said that were, were uh, very famous, even to this day, Jack Van Impey and uh, uh, who's the other one that was big prophecy guy on TV? Um, Tim LaHaye even proposed this. Uh, lots of people are talking about this. And they've moved the Gog-Magog event into this time frame before the seven years. You also have, and I could never understand that. It never made sense to me because obviously in Revelation it comes after Satan is released from his thousand-year captivity. Um, that's very plain. Uh, if you want to go to Revelation, we'll read that very quickly just so that we have that firmly placed in our brain. So I'm reading this. I said, well, why are we looking for the Soviet Union now when it's obvious in chapter 20 that uh, this happens later. It says in verse 7 of chapter 20 of Revelation, that's where I'm at, Revelation 20, verse 7, it says, Now when the thousand years had expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. <clears throat> so, why would they be here? Well, it boiled down to some things in Ezekiel, and, and we're going to look at that passage in Ezekiel and see why was there such a problem. Um, and it really was born out of the Ezekiel portion about Gog and Magog. So let's go there, and it's in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 that was the other place Gog Magog is listed. And again, I told you a little bit last week that there is some going back and forth between two battles in Gog Magog. One of the other things that we have heard over history is that Gog Magog is synonymous with Armageddon. That those are the same two battles. Um, that, uh, that, and this is one of chapter 38, or I'm sorry, 39 particularly is, is listed. And then, of course, so the other place in our time, which of course is at the end of the seven years. So here's the seven years of God's wrath. And we have um, it happening there. Again, very plainly, the scripture says that after the thousand years were over, this is going to happen. And so we're looking at a thousand-year period, and we would pay it, put it way out here, Gog Magog, after the thousand years reign of Christ, the male kingdom. And uh, so let's look at Ezekiel a little bit. You've had a little time to find it, um, chapters 38 and 39. Uh, we could read all the chapter, but we, I'm not, I don't really have the time to really look through that. But I just want to read some of the names of the nations involved, and you can see why they were trying to get... The names lined up with names out of Russia. Chapter 38, Now the word of the Lord uh, came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog, the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh. Oh, what does that sound like? Yes. Meshach and Tobul. And of course there's a Tobolsk in Russia too. And prophesy against him. And, uh, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. 
Uh, I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and lead you out with your army, horses, horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. helmet. Gomer and all its troops, the house of Togarma from the far north, and all its troops, many people are with you. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companions that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. After many days you will be visited. In the latter years you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from my many people in the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. You will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, on that day shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind, and you will make an evil plan. You'll say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will go to peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited, and against a people gathered from the nations who acquire livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land, Sheba, Dedan, and merchants of Tarshish, And all their young lions will say to you, Have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take away great plunder? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You will come against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land, and it will be in the latter days that you will bring, I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me, that I, when I am hallowed in you, O God, before their eyes, thus says the Lord God, are you he of whom I have spoken in the former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them. And it will come to pass at the same time when God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. From my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, so that the flesh of the the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains shall be thrown down, the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord. Every man's sword will be against his brother. And I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him as tr- on his troops and on many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. And it goes on now and prophesies again in chapter 39. So we have this description The part that talks there towards the end about God pouring out his wrath um, is why, in addition to the names, is why many people wanted to move Gog Magog into this time period and then say that there was a resurgence of Gog Magog later on after the Millennial Kingdom, that they were at both ends. Um, That was often a common position. Uh, Some just relegated that to to symbolic verbiage in Revelation in its timing, uh, but they saw this de- description of all the ways God's going to fight against them with the seven years of wrath. And the difficulty with that is pretty simple. Um, first of all, l- l- let's 
back up a little bit farther. How does it describe, not Gog and Magog, but how does it describe Israel during the, just as Gog Magog is formulating its plans, how is Israel described in Ezekiel? Um, And that's, I think, very key, is here's Israel, and it is described in this way. You ready? They are gathered from the nations. They are gathered people. And fully gathered. Um, Back in the 60s and 70s, we could not say that of Israel. Even today, they are in the midst of being gathered. Um, But uh, the evidence is they're not really gathered fully, even to this point. They are getting very close. But they are a fully gathered people. Um, What else do we find out about them? Over and over again, it says that they are dwelling safely. Now, I know Israel is a gathered people, but are they dwelling safely? No, they have rockets flying into their nation all the time. All the time. I mean, can you imagine if Canada started firing missiles into Minnesota and, and Maine, um, just randomly started firing missiles into our country, how we would respond? Yeah, you wouldn't want that to happen. But that's what's happening in Israel all the time, from Gaza, from, the, uh, from Lebanon, some from Hezbollah up there. And so it says that they're dwelling safely. It also describes them as without walls and bars. Without walls and bars, what does that imply? They have no defenses. Um, Does that describe Israel today? If you go to Israel today, um, there is a wall. (laughs) Oh boy, is there a wall. You guys know about the wall? Israel has built a a huge wall um, along its border between them and Gaza. And if you go there, you can see, I mean, it's a long wall. kind of snakes around and um, (laughs) many feet high, many feet deep. Um, You can't miss it. It's a big old wall. Um, And its intention is to stop the terrorist acts of the Palestinians against their people. And so they have built this huge wall. And uh, to describe this as a place without walls or bars uh, on the gates, that are the windows, does not describe Israel today. They have walls. It doesn't describe her in the time period prior to the seven years But all of this would certainly describe Israel during the Millennial Kingdom, wouldn't it? That they are dwellings, they have nothing to fear, they have nothing to concern themselves with. God is, 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 Jesus is ruling and reigning. They are safe, they are fully gathered, they are, they are without walls and doors, they are fully safe. And then there's another facet, and that is, they are the holding the wealth of the world. They're holding great wealth. Um, and everyone knows it. Oh, not weath, wealth. There, they're holding great wealth, and so the the merchants of Tarshish say, "Are you going to go down and empty that nation out?" You're you're just a, the appeal of it is just overwhelming, and so uh, is Israel holding that kind of wealth today? Well, not really. In fact, uh, frankly, uh, some of the Arab countries around them are much wealthier than Israel is. Um, from all the oil. 
in Saudi Arabia and some of them are much richer uh, nations, and even Iraq um, and Iran with their oil wealth, um, Syria. Um, so you would not describe Israel in this terms in these terms at this point. Um, they do have some good agriculture. They do have some good industry, mostly uh, with some intellectual value uh, that's there. But uh, you would not describe them as a great wealth holder. And so this describes Israel when Gog and Magog um, is enticed into attacking her. And again, the intention is to attack. Now, um, all the way through this, they have made it very clear that they won't ever actually get there. And uh, that's made very clear that they won't actually get to uh, attack there. So let's go to chapter 39 and see what happens. It says, You son of man prophesy against Gog. Uh, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. And I will turn you around and lead you on, bring you up from the far north. And again, we have the the description. Verse 3, I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. You shall fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the peoples who are with you. I'll give you to birds of prey of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You shall fall on the open field, for I have spoken, says the Lord. I will send fire on Gog and on those who live in security in the coastlands. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them profane my holy name any more. Then the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Surely it is coming, and it shall be done. This is the day of which I have spoken. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set a fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and bucklers, the bows and arrows, the javelins and spears, and they will make fires with them for seven years. They will not take wood from the field nor cut down any from the forest because they will make fires with the weapons. And they will plunder those who plundered them and pillage those who pillaged them, says the Lord. It will come to pass in that day I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel in the valley of those who pass by east of the sea and it will obstruct travelers because there will be there they will bury Gog and all his multitude. Therefore they will call it the valley of Haman Gog. For seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Indeed, all the people of the land will be burying and they will gain renown for it on the day that I am glorified. They will set apart men regularly employed with the help of a search party to pass through the land and bury those bodies remaining on the ground in order to cleanse it. At the end of seven months they will make a search. The search party will pass through the land and when anyone sees a man's bone, he shall set up a marker by it till the burrier's have buried it in the land of Hamongog. And the name of the city will also be Hamonah. Thus they shall cleanse the land. Now, we have this description of the end, which is a little more extensive than what we have in Revelation. In fact, some have said, well, that's why Gog Magog can't be at the end of the Millennial Kingdom. Um, Let's go back and review very quickly what happens at Armageddon. All right, at Armageddon, we have um, a very succinct statement. Remember how short it was, how brief it was? Um, We have this calling of the birds to uh, consume the flesh of men. (laughs) Calling flesh. Calling the birds to consume the flesh of men. 
How were they slaughtered? From the word of God. It was the word of God that was the weapon used. And so it was the word proceeding out of his mouth, the word of God. And some have said, well, that represents the promises of Ezekiel against Gog Magog. And so those people that want to line up Armageddon with Gog Magog would contend that. Um, and because there is a reference to the birds, but also to the beasts of the field here in Ezekiel 39, um, just as those who want to put it over earlier reference chapter 38 and the passages talk about fire and the other things he's going to use against them. But I want to just share with you that Ezekiel's viewpoint is much different than what we have in Revelation. It's much broader. And so he's seeing the whole of the latter days, I think, at once. And we're going to have, like I said, some intermingling of several facets of the end times. Um, but one of the things that, that is going to be real evident to you if we keep reading in chapter 39 is that there's also another event. There's the Gog-Magog event, but there's also another event. And I would contend that he is seeing both Armageddon and Gog-Magog at the same time. From a great distance, he's seeing two battles separated by, by a thousand years. But remember, he's over 2,000 years away from it. And so he's seeing them... He's seeing both of them, that God is judging the nations here, and there's a final judgment. And because of the distance from which he's seeing it, he's only seeing them without seeing what's going on in between extensively. Although he's going to see certainly the Millennial Kingdom temple uh, in that region. But in terms of God's judgment on the nations, he's seeing it here. And so let's look at what I think is describing Armageddon. Um, And that's starting in verse 17. And see what if this sounds like revelation in Armageddon. It says, As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord, speak to every sort of bird and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come. Gather together from all sides to my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you. A great sacrificial meal on the mountains of Israel that you may eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty, drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, of goats and bulls, all of them falling of Bashan, fatlings of Bashan. You shall eat fat till you are full and drink blood till you are drunk. At my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you, you shall be filled at my table with horses and riders, with mighty men, and with all the men of war, says the Lord. I will set my glory among the nations. All the nations shall see my judgment, which I have executed, and my hand, which I have laid on them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. The Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they were unfaithful to me. Therefore I hid my face from them. I gave them into the hand of their enemies and they all fell by the sword according to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions. I have dealt with them and hid my face from them. Therefore thus says the Lord, now I will bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel and I will be jealous for my holy name after they have borne their shame. And all their unfaithfulness, which they are unfaithful to me, when they dwelt safely in their own land with no one, made them afraid when I bought them, brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies. Uh, I am hallowed in their, and I am hallowed in their sight, inside many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who sent them into captivity among the nations, but have brought them back to their land, and left none of them captive any longer. And I will not hide my face from them any more, for I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord. Now, why did I read all that? 
because I believe all of that refers to the events around Armageddon. Do you notice that Gog and Magog have dropped from the text? There's no reference to Gog, Magog anywhere in there. But what you do have is there, there's a great feast. There's a calling of the birds to a great sacrificial meal. And at the end of this event, what is it, who is it that's supposed to know that the Lord is God? Israel. So Israel is to know, and I think that's an important section. It's for Israel to know this is the Lord. And right after that, is out as a result, they will be fully gathered. And so, and they will be now dwelling safely. That out of this sacrificial meal will come this circumstances. And so, um, they're out of order in Ezekiel, but remember, he's looking from a long ways away. And the prophets of the Old Testament just weren't that interested in it. It was about uh, the themes there. And so, at Gog and Magog, who would know? What was the purpose of Gog Magog? This is so that Israel would know that the Lord is God. What was the purpose, as stated twice in the chapters 38 and 39, it was stated twice why and what was supposed to be known at the end of Gog Magog? Who was to know? The nations. This is what the nations now know. Okay? So the nations know that Jesus is the Lord God. And, uh, and that's the purpose of Gog Magog compared to this description uh, here at the end of chapter 39, which I, I see very clearly lining up with Armageddon. And so you can understand why we're having some struggle identifying this, and that's why we rely more heavily on Revelation for the timing of this, for the chronology to set up the calendar, if you will, than we rely on Ezekiel. Um, But again, because people wanted the end to come so bad, and because Russia was our, the Soviet Union was was our enemy, and we were the good guys, and they were the bad guys, because we all know communists are bad and capitalists are good, right? We've been trained that, I was trained that growing up. Communists are bad, capitalists are good. Um, Communists are bad, capitalists are bad, period, okay? Um, And and we were not taught that way. And so because of that, they wanted it to make it, and and then all the mixing up started happening. And we started to disregard the chronology of Revelation when we shouldn't have. And so we have Armageddon, I believe, showing up in Ezekiel, but it has a very different purpose. And so Israel will understand this is our God. And they will be shamed. And out of their shame, God will gather them, they'll dwell safely, um, and they will uh, have all the benefits. Uh, After they know, this is what they're going to get, and it'll humble them even farther to receive Christ as their their, uh, Messiah. But at the end of Gog Magog, um, by the way, you have no burial described here because the birds seem to be, it's a, it's a meal. <laughs> it's a meal. Okay? Now, at the end of Gog Magog, what do you have? You don't have a meal. What do you have? 
you have burial and burning. Let's talk about the burning first. Isn't that kind of weird? They're not just out there burning great big heaps of equipment. They are taking the wood, chopping it up, and taking it home to burn, to cook with. Why is that weird? How many of our modern weapons do you do that with? You don't do that with our modern weapons, do you? So we have a little bit more of a, I mean, it is very described, javelins and spears and arrows and bows and swords. And I mean, it's pretty descriptive, pretty repetitive. And you might say, well, Ezekiel couldn't possibly imagine our modern weaponry. Well, he says very clearly that they are going to go out there and collect wood. They're not going to go chop down trees. They don't have to because there's so much wood in the, in the battlefield left over from the battle. And so they're going to be collecting wood. And my question is, does that sound like Armageddon when the nations are gathered by the power of three demons uh, to think that they can take on Jesus himself? Or does it sound like you've gone a thousand years and no one's made war? No weapons of war have been made for a thousand years. All the swords were beaten into plowshares. That is that... All the metal has been made into instruments of agriculture. And for a thousand years, no one has made war. What kind of weapons are you going to develop in a short time frame under those conditions? Remember the conditions of the earth. The earth was bringing forth great abundance. And so your trees, and, I mean, you're just going to be totally, um, vegetation is going to be all back. Well, that makes a lot more sense that they're going to be coming with a little bit more primitive weapons than this time period when you have this uh, signs and wonders of the beast engaged. Um, He's going to be using all of these modern weapons and have full confidence that they can, with nukes or whatever, can take on anything that comes, which, of course, they can't. And then, of course, we have the burial. And this is to sanctify the land, to set the land apart. And... um, and this is important to God, you might say, why is he getting ready to destroy it? But it's a testimony so that the nations will know. And there are so many dead that they are being buried and they are not being really consumed. Some people are being killed by birds and beasts during this, but they're not being eaten. Why not? Why why isn't there a sacrificial meal at Gog Magog, but there is at Armageddon? What has changed? What do the creatures eat now? The lion eats straw. They don't eat flesh anymore. The flesh eating was back here at the end of the seven years of wrath before the millennial kingdom is really established. All the creatures are still flesh eating. You still have the birds of the air coming in and eating the flesh of men. Come on in. It's a sacrificial meal. Come on, you guys all eat, eat of it. Drink of the blood of princes, uh, eat of the fatlings, eat, eat, eat till you're full, drink the blood till you're drunk. Um, you'll be filled at my tables, you're going to eat horses, you're going to eat riders, mighty men, men of war. Um, that's this time. But now there is no meal involved. This is a full burial, and it is very carefully done. 
that even if a bone is found months later, they mark the place and, and you set aside, and then they have a group that comes in and takes care of it. And so you don't find the same uh, result, if you will. This is a sacrificial meal. This involves, we're going to burn the, the instruments of war in our stoves to cook with, and uh, for the season, waiting for the, the, the full judge, the, the full the great white throne and all that's involved there. And you're going to have the burial that's going to go on for months and into years. Now, this kind of bothers us a little bit because we think at the end of the thousand years, Gog Magog is the end in Revelation. And it is. But God takes his time. And in the midst of dealing with the dragon, with the devil, men on earth have an opportunity. And remember, by this point, we're pretty much dealing with all the redeemed. And so um, we have the great white throne on the horizon. We have the earth, this going to be destroyed. But before it's destroyed, this, this needs to be purified. This needs to be cleansed. The land needs to be cleansed of this, uh, of this wickedness. And again, this harks back all the way to Genesis where it says the earth cried out about the blood spilled on it. And there's a justice to that. And so Gog Magog is a demonstration that after a thousand years of enjoying all the benefits of having Christ as your king, all the benefits of an earth that's in its Sabbath rest and is producing naturally what it was intended to produce, of all that time, Satan is released and immediately he has an audience. Immediately men are ready to rebel because rebellion is in our heart and not in our environment. Rebellion in your children is in their heart, not in their environment. Okay, the world says it's environmental. That's why they're rebellious. That's why they're violent. That's why they're disobedient is because they have they don't understand because uh, this that I mean the psychologists have given us a bazillion reasons why rebellion is okay but rebellion is in the heart of men and you can put them in perfect surroundings and the fact is when given the first real choice they choose to rebel because rebellion is in the heart and the only way it can be taken out is if God replaces our heart of stone with a heart of flesh a soft, tender heart that's humble and willing to receive him. And Gog Magog is a demonstration. In fact, the whole millennial kingdom is a demonstration that God's way is the only way. And the final testimony at the great white throne judgment of all those people that come up to you and say, oh, you know, I didn't have a chance, or I would have if I had been, if, 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 if. And all God has to say, well, that's not what happened. Here's the proof. After a thousand years of no war, no famine, no hunger, no disease, no, not, not really hardly any death, um, this is what it looks like. You're still rebels. Given one choice between me and Satan, you chose Satan. So you can blame Adam and Eve all you want, but you made the same choice because rebellion was in your heart. And so... Um, the sacrifices had a purpose in the millennial kingdom. We come to Gog, Magog, and, and we have this dual reference that God is involved, Satan's involved, and the nations are, are interested in it. And, of course, 
there's always those outlying nations that want to just benefit from the from all that is gathered in from the um, war. There's always people wanting to benefit from war all around it. And so we find this um, instruction. So Gog Magog, don't confuse it. Don't let, and if you read prophecy teachers in the 70s, um, they'll all do this. Um, they'll confuse this all up in this order. Um, Gog Magog happens for a purpose. And it's to demonstrate the hardness of men that the men who enjoyed the thousand years were not redeemed because they were there. If they were redeemed people, they would not have had sacrifices to remind them of their sin. They would not have had famine as the uh, way to discipline them if they didn't come and worship. And that Gog Magog would never have happened. Simply stated, take away Satan, take away the consequences of sin, and men still won't do right. They're still dirty, rotten sinners that need a Savior. And the Millennial Kingdom proves it. But it's also God being faithful to all of his promises, to his promises to creation, to his promises to Israel, to his promises to the church. God is faithful. He'll keep all those promises. And the Millennial Kingdom demonstrates that as well. So those are the purposes around it. Um, and it's really culminated with Gog Magog, and, um, and God is going to take care of it. And, and we can see distinguishments between these two very clearly. I think they're both in Ezekiel. Ezekiel's seeing both of them, um, and sometimes they might be a little intermingling there, but um, uh, they're still distinguishable. Even in Ezekiel, and certainly when you get to Revelation, they're very distinguishable and we have very clear chronology set up for us. Any questions tonight on this facet? And the only reason I do have to spend this much time is because of what people have done with this historically in our movement. We have really messed up what people think Gog Magog is, and they all think it's Moscow, Tobolsk, and Rosh. It's Russia coming down. It is from the far north, and yes, Russia is north of Israel, but remember, we are talking about a time a thousand and seven years from now, at least, in a very different time frame, different, different geography, different circumstances, all of it. Okay. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to ask me. Be glad to study it out if I don't have an answer already. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word. And we know we've really only touched on it here in, in Revelation Ezekiel. And, and we see again and again that you are committed to justice. Justice for your people and for your name's sake. Um, that you will have fiery wrath and you will also destroy your enemies. But you will remember your people and your promises. And for this we rejoice. And Lord, our prayers that we might not think that uh, we can put off our mission because it can be accomplished in the days of wrath or in the millennial kingdom because it's obvious that it can't be. That today is indeed the day of salvation. This is the era of grace. This is the time to receive you. And Lord, give us that urgency that is evidenced by all that we have seen here in Revelation from the rapture of your church on. We praise this in Christ Jesus' name.
Amen.